Hey folks, I just wanted to give a little bit of a preamble before we start this week's episode. This is IRCB Movie Club number two, originally aired on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to check out more. Paul, Brian, and I talked about the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World movie that came out in 2010, directed by Edgar Wright, based on the comics by Brian Lee O'Malley. I have a lot of thoughts. I love this movie, but you'll hear more about it when you get into the show. Of course, if you're interested in all the other Patreon stuff that we have, including another 12 episodes of the IRCB Movie Club, Giant Days of Our Lives, Better Batmobile, and so much more, head over to patreon.com slash Podcast to get access to that. 12 other episodes of the IRCB Movie Club, Giant Days of Our Lives, A Better Batmobile, so much more. It's amazing. For now, let's start the show. you have your concessions all in order, your cell phones are turned off, and you've ceased the chit-chat. We're in the movie theater again for the I Read Comic Books Movie Club. I'm your host, Paul Jaisley, joined once again by Mike Rappin. Hello. And Brian Murray. Hi there. And this time, we are back again with another comic book adaptation film. This was chosen by our Patreon members, and they chose the 2010 adaptation of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, directed by Edgar Wright, and adapted, of course, from the graphic novel series by Brian O'Malley. Um, guys, I have a confession right off the bat before we get too deep into this movie. This is the oh, first no. time I've watched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, but Paul, it's been out for almost a decade. How have you not seen this film? <laughs> well, I have a complicated history with Scott Pilgrim. Um, so, okay. very briefly... Um, and it's a one-sided uh, relationship, really. Um, uh, um, that sounds of like a very Scott Pilgrim thing, actually. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I believe the fourth volume of Scott Pilgrim had come out right around the time I was getting back into buying comics. So every uh, site I was reading, all the comic book reviews, I was I was digging through trying to find new stuff to read because I was just back into the, going to the shops regularly. That's all they were talking about was Scott Pilgrim. And mm-hmm. um, maybe I resented the fact that a book that looked so dumb to me was getting so much praise because, <laughs> uh, you know me, I don't care about video games. And this was a book yeah. that seemed to be about video games. So I was like, well, I don't need to read this. Video games plus the whole manic pixie dream girl aspect of the story wasn't mm-hmm. appealing to me. So I put off reading it. Um, and then when the movie came out, I, I was like, well, there's an adaptation of a book I didn't care about. Why would I go see the movie? So... Since then, I've read the book. I read it maybe four years ago, and I, I thought it was okay. I, I The main thing I remember was that Brian Lee O'Malley's um, cartooning gets markedly better as the book goes on. Um, Absolutely. And then the, the movie, watching it for the first time now, I actually enjoyed the movie a lot more than I enjoyed the comic. I was actually stunned how much I enjoyed this film. So we can get into the nitty-gritty, but maybe before we do that, we can get on uh, your guys' take on your histories with Scott Pilgrim. Sure. Uh I mean, Brian and I have a a storied past together in general, Um, and if I remember correctly, Brian, I think you and I went and saw this movie in theater together. Uh, Not only did we see it in theaters, we went to the midnight premiere in costume. (laughs) Yes, we did. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was the first or second time I saw it. Okay. Yeah, we definitely dressed up. I went as Scott Pilgrim. Brian, you went as Steven Stills, if I'm not mistaken? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, our, we, our friend John was Wallace Wells, and then we, yeah, had, a, we yes. had a young Neil as well. Awesome. Yes, we did. <laughs> we um we were a little excited for this movie. I remember being very excited for this movie, um, if only because it was Edgar Wright, and at the time I was very much obsessed with everything Edgar Wright had done. And two, I was really into Scott Pilgrim 
in the sense that I thought it was a really cool idea. I thought it was a comic and a movie that really cool people liked, and therefore <laughs> I should like it. Sure. Um, I, you know, very much fell to pray to what they were trying to do, and that uh, I feel like the whole movie goes into about cool people and hip people and things that are cooler than cool and all that stuff. Cuomo was definitely a character that I was like, yeah, I get what that guy's saying. Their first album <laughs> was better than their first <laughs> album. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've always loved this series. I've talked to many, many people about this series um, over the years and have kind of changed my feeling a little bit. I okay. still really like Scott Pilgrim. I still really enjoy the film quite a bit, <laughs> um, but I do understand the problematic elements of it a lot more than I did when I first saw in 2010 <laughs> yeah I, I was watching watching the movie to prep for this and just sort of going like man scott really is just like unconstrained it isn't he <laughs> he's just like whatever he wants to do in that moment is all that matters to him <laughs> yeah i think that's one of the things i found off-putting about the comic and the movie is that you essentially have a main character the titular character is an asshole and has no redeeming qualities. So oh, he sucks yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that that probably leads us into the point that we should make that this is going to be full spoilers for the entire <laughs> Scott Pilgrim movie and comic book series. I'm going to dive into probably some of the comic book stuff, but um, at least a little bit more as I, as I think about it while we're, while we're discussing things, but I just want to throw that out there. If you haven't watched Scott Pilgrim, go watch it and then come back. Right. Yes, obviously. Um, yeah, so as I said, it's directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, it's based on the book by Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, and it was written, the script for the film was written by Wright and Michael Bacall. Um, oh, uh, it's a veritable who's who in, in terms of the cast. It's You recognize almost everyone in the movie. It's kind of funny. Um, Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim. Mary Elizabeth Winsett as Ramona Flowers, sort of the two main characters here. And um, two people that are, uh, I think, do a great job playing characters that are fundamentally unlikable. <laughs> in, in the movie right yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think it, it took maybe like my fifth or sixth viewing to realize that ramona really doesn't give a shit about anything um and I, that's not a, necessarily a knock against her i think it's a reflection of scott being way too fucking insane and wanting to like be around her and be this obsessive person mm -hmm. and it's it's very gross when you actually take a step back from it and when i i think when i first saw this i was in this whole whimsical fantasy of just oh he just really likes this girl and, and she just he if only she would like him back and that is the wrong mentality to have about this series um scott is totally a douche and it's it's insane to see one person obsessed so much over somebody let alone the whole he's dating this high school girl which is really skeezy when you're 22 yeah. and it's it's definitely like a weird relationship thing that i think hits almost too close to home as far as like real life is concerned like people make dumb mistakes like this after bad breakups where they're in bad emotional states it's 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 a wild movie that is it has this whimsy to it because it's edgar wright when you're mm -hmm. watching it but I think when you read the comic, it gets way more into like the minutia of it and how Scott is a bad person. And right. he needs to learn to grow up from that. And I think the comic book does a much better job of showing Scott kind of growing up. Um, whereas the movie, he just continues to be Michael Sarah being Scott Pilgrim. And I don't mean to necessarily knock Michael Sarah because I think he's a he's an interesting actor. He's very typecast, um, probably because of this role in Arrested Development. But um like his portrayal of the character is spot on as far as like weird shitty guy. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a thing where, you know, trying to condense seven, seven volumes down into 
one ninety five minute or however long movie it was is is there's stuff that's got to get cut out and I think mm-hmm. it, it's unfortunate that they couldn't have everything because a lot of what they cut out is like him and Kim Pine sort of coming to terms with the end of their relationship and like yeah that's why him realizing what a jackass he was seems to come kind of out of nowhere not 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 out of nowhere in the movie but it's certainly much more well established in the comic yeah that's a good point i think um i think for me i think i like the movie because it it does trim a lot of the fat that i felt the book had but yeah the character development is is very flimsy in the film because of that the mm-hmm. judicial editing they had to do right to narrow it down i think yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I think that while the comic does show off a lot of that stuff, I, I realize you probably we want to talk about the movie, and I keep bringing it back to the comic. <laughs> um, I feel like volumes five and six in the comic series kind of just go on for reasons unknown, other than to like fill pages and show Scott kind of in a bad situation and kind of learning about being an adult because he's very much a, a man child <laughs> um, at the beginning of the series, and he's a little bit less of a man child by the end. But there is at least some growth there, and I think. To put that into a movie you're looking at a different type of thing you're looking at like a two or three three-year movie franchise um that i don't think we needed from scott pilgrim like at all no. i'm not even asking for that please god no edgar wright if you're listening to this like no um i know you're smart enough to not deal with that but if if paramount or universal um offers you a bunch of money don't do it um but yeah, I think uh you you do have to trim a lot of that fat to make the movie more digestible and i think in exchange for that you get edgar wright's incredible ability to tell a story that has a lot of movement and a lot of power behind it and momentum that really makes the film flow from beginning to end without really taking a breath in a really good way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I want to focus on, at least for the next little discussion here, is that for me, there is things about the comic that fundamentally didn't work. I've already mentioned I don't care about video games, but I really love music. So Mm -hmm. the fact Mm -hmm. that the, the, the both the comic and the movie are really rooted in those cultures and borrow a lot from those sort of cultures the movie does a better job i think of portraying the power of music obviously a comic book is very hard to make a musical performance look or you know quote unquote sound cool you know Mm -hmm. because it's silent that i think is the biggest strength of the film the music is fantastic uh the music director of the movie was nigel goodrich uh he co-wrote a lot of the songs with beck and sex by um uh sex Bob-omb, whatever. Sex Bob-omb, yeah. <laughs> the band that Scott Pilgrim is in, they sound exactly like you'd want them to sound in the movie. Like, if I'm yeah. reading the comic, I'm like, it's not clicking for me because I've there's nothing there. You just have the lyrics, you know? But the the songs in the movie are exactly what I expected to sound like. I love the, the way that Edgar Wright used the sort of visual language of comics in those musical scenes. I have a nitpick about it mm-hmm. I'll get into later on, but in the, them playing music... The way he captures the feeling and power of music, obviously it's Edgar Wright. That's a big part of his films. He nails it in those scenes. And that, I think, works better for me than those scenes did in the comic because of it. Yeah. Can we talk about one of the punchiest, amazing openings to a movie that's about music <laughs> yeah. that you've ever seen in your entire fucking life? Like, don't I, I realize that a lot of this is heavily rooted in nostalgia for me because I loved the movie when it came out. I couldn't stop listening to the soundtrack after it came out. Like... I love that opening scene to death when they when they start playing music and you see the room stretch as the as just the power is emanating off of this little three person band playing shitty instruments in mm-hmm. this tiny little house nothing 
in the world have I ever seen captures the feeling of like a really rough garage band really coming together in their sound for just a minute and a half because that's all the music that they can write Um, better than this movie. I am still in love with the opening sequence of this film, if only because of that scene. Um, I should say, if only because of how powerful that scene is to me. And it's still like that music starts and I was watching it with headphones on yesterday and I just couldn't get over how punchy that opening is. It really amps you up in a way that like the same way you would feel as if you were actually at a concert. And a lot of that has to do with Edgar Wright's just ability to show the music along with the visuals. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of moments like that in the movie. If we're, I don't know if we want to go chronologically through this, but even the scene, you know, where where Scott is going against Todd and they're doing this base off thing, where yes, yes, which is very corny, but like, oh my gosh, how cool! Is Scott gets thrown through a window, and then suddenly you just see this like d d d d d noise coming <laughs> yeah. from the blackness. Like, come on, how fucking cool is that? <laughs> I, I do remember in the comic that was he was supposed to be playing the Final Fantasy battle music. Yeah, yeah. On his base, <laughs> um, which I, I guess they would have had to pay for. So, yeah, that that was something I was curious about. I still am curious about um, how they got all of the various like Nintendo sounds, and you got Scott playing the Final Fantasy song at one point yeah. um, into this into the movie. With you know, I wonder what the licensee was like because it, it super worked for someone who's like kind of a video game nerd, especially when it comes to Nintendo stuff. And I, I really enjoy the way that Edgar Wright just sprinkles all sorts of things in like that. Um, I, I think it, without it, the movie would have been less than, and in my opinion. Yeah, there's a there's so much like blink and you miss it in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, I still like I was watching it earlier and I saw stuff that I never noticed before. Like in the the uh, the fight with uh, uh, what's his name Patel, I can't remember his mm-hmm. first name. Mm-hmm. But when they're they're fighting, you get the little like comic book impact lines coming off of their arms, like when they block oh, yeah. each other. And I, I never noticed that before. So that brings up maybe my kind of nitpick with the film or one of the reasons I avoided watching it for so long is that I think initially when I was watching the trailers, it looked like Wright was playing to that card of it's a comic book movie. We got to throw in sound effects and, you know, animations. It looks like he's playing that card too heavily. And I don't think that's the case really because because the film is using the language of comics and video games as a metaphor for dealing with the baggage of your relationship, which is essentially what the story of the movie is, it makes sense to be over the top, especially in those fight scenes and the, the music scenes, right? Yeah. Um, well, the thing that, I mean, just, just a really quick touch on that. I, the funny thing about the fight scenes and stuff is that, uh, you know, Scott is for some reason able to just fight all these people, right? I, it's just, <laughs> right. it's not explained if I, if I'm remembering correctly, but in the comic, I think at one point somebody calls out the fact that Scott used to be this like amazing fighter of some kind, like back when he was a younger kid. And that's why he's so good at fighting all these bad guys. Um, I, I think a little throwaway <laughs> line from like Kim or something yeah. would have made that work a little bit better. Um, but again, that kind of brings up the the history that is buried in this movie that doesn't exist. Um of Kim and and Scott's backstory where they dated for a while and he broke up with her and it was a very bad thing for both of them like K- Kim gets an entire massive storyline in the, in the comic um right. that really like fleshes her out and really makes the sto- like 
understanding who like Scott is, who she is, a lot stronger. Um, and infor- it's unfortunate to not see that in the movie. And again, we realize we got to cut things for time. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that in the comic that you actually got to see that flip side that before time, um, before Scott was this kind of dumb man child that he is, and instead was an acceptably stupid teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was as dumb as you're allowed to be during that part of your life exactly exactly well i i guess what's interesting is like i obviously i know that uh what the comic is and i i I mean i remember enough to kind of know that but like if you're going to the movie cold it would be easy to sort of see the fight scenes as purely imagination like how much this movie would you just assume is happening in scott's head versus in real life right right it could just be imaginary, yeah, I, and I think that's... Most neat. people yeah. aren't bursting into coins after they've been headbutted, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, so I think that's the way I'm sort of viewing it, and that's why it works better for me than the comic in that regard. Um, so I guess the point I want to quickly make, though, is that it's a very fine line that films that adapt comics have to make. How much do you make it look like the comic versus how much do you actually adapt in the adaptation? Sure. And I think... That's one of the things I want to explore as we go on with this this sort of the series of film reviews we're doing here, where if you go too far one way, it becomes Watchmen, it becomes Sin City, where it's just like you're just putting the page on the screen. There's no adaptation or filtering of the material. Sure. So what's the point? And this movie walks that, that line, that fine line very well. I think, like I said, the fight scenes, the music scenes, that's done to enhance, like adding those visual cues of the sound effects enhances all those scenes. Mm-hmm. When it's just done to illustrate a doorbell or a phone ringing, that seems gimmicky. So that seems nitpicky in my regard, but like I think there's elements for the most part the movie handles that well and it 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 adds to the scene and it makes it not feel like oh it's just a comic adaptation or there's something, you know, more going on to the scene whereas just having every single doorbell you have to have the doorbell spelled out on the screen that feels gimmicky and it's just like don't forget this is a comic guys which is unnecessary i think yeah i think that's a fair fair assessment it's a gimmick that i enjoyed so i don't (laughs) i don't have the same same feeling towards it but i I definitely see what you're saying and it could just be being super nitpicky in my my regard so yeah i i I don't don't know No, yeah, I was gonna say I don't. I don't think it is. Um, I, I think it's a little unnecessary in some places. Like, I think it's a cool visual um, <laughs> in a lot of places. You know, like like I was saying the you know the D D D D D thing yes, during yeah, the yeah. base fight. Like that super works. Um, but then you run into things where Scott walks into his apartment in in the dark um, near the end of the film, and he flips on a light switch, and there's a click in white on the black before the light turns on. Um, which is a whole other thing I want to talk about. Light in this movie is probably one of the coolest things. But beyond that, some of that stuff is a little superfluous. Some of it is very much like, hey, this is kind of a cartoon in real life. Um, And I can see how that takes away. But at the same time, I think that it's almost needed to remind you constantly that this is a very cartoonish thing that's happening. Like the whole movie Uh, mm -hmm. is very cartoonish. Um, So to to try to put a layer of seriousness on it is almost... um, I think unnecessary because Scott Pilgrim isn't necessarily supposed to be a serious film in in, in that regard. I think sure. it is about like character growth. It's about like how the 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 way you treat people always it can come back to bite you. You should you know all that kind of stuff. But um, the message I, I think is a little lost in this film because it's it, the end of it is very odd. Like the whole 
the guy gets the girl in the end despite all of this stuff is kind of weird to me and i know that the reason why it probably feels a little clunky is because when the film came out the sixth or the seventh and final volume hadn't been written yet and i'm sure that you know brian lee o'malley working with edgar wright had like a discussion about here's how i expect it to end so on and so forth but I have a feeling, and I, I maybe I'm rem- misremembering this, but I think that Brian Lee O'Malley, he was still on the fence about how he wanted the series to end. And I think there was a hard decision between three endings. One, Scott ends up alone. Two, Scott ends up with Ramona. And three, Scott ends up with Knives. And it, in the film, there is kind of a moment where I think you can see that Edgar Wright was leaning a little bit towards Scott ending up with Knives in the end. Yeah. Um, because they at the end they have this moment of synchronicity similar to the thing that they showed you know it's a callback to the first act when you know they're doing the ninja game and at the end they end up fighting uh, G-Men Graves and they're doing the same kind of ninja thing and you got this good 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 mm-hmm. like they're working together to defeat this problem um, as if like this in some capacity was a good relationship for Scott mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe you can take that a couple different ways but at least on this viewing that's the way that I took it um, and then at the end you know knives says go get her you know like you you've done all this stuff like you should you should go get her um and i don't know it could have gone the other way i think that there's a blu-ray deleted scene where scott ends up with knives somewhere i i don't remember because i never owned the blu-ray but um yeah i don't know there's 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 a weirdness to it that i think is uh like i wish that there had they had waited for the final volume to come out to know what the author's intent was with their story before they made the film but i realized timelines don't necessarily work like that Right. Yeah, and I think it, it's easy to see that because Scott and Ramona's relationship gets almost no development. I don't think in either the comic or the movie. Certainly not in the movie, but I haven't read the comic yeah. since college. If I remember correctly, in the comic, they do have a few more moments of like togetherness where they kind of work on their relationship and they're actually kind of dating, dating bef- between fights, right? Because if I remember correctly, the... Yeah. the the comic, the Katsuyanagi twins fight is like happens off scene. Like it happens or off panel. I think Scott is fighting them while Kim and Ramona are talking on a balcony. And like, so the fight's happening and there's crazy shit happening in the background, but there's like a development between Kim and Ramona that gets fleshed out in the comic because their friendship slash relationship is is very marred because of, of the way that Kim feels about Scott and the way that she feels about Ramona because of how Ramona is just sweeping in. Um, but again, that's that's more comic stuff. I don't think it would fit in the film. But uh, right, yeah, yeah, there is a little bit more fleshing out in the comic. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I guess I mean maybe just to jump to the ending quickly here is the, the final act kind of doesn't work for me for the reasons you were saying, Mike. Is that it's that last fight we has with g-man graves i mean that's good and then obviously you get the payoff of the whole idea of the film is that he's fighting all of ramona's evil exes he's gaining uh you know heart self-respect it's all about dealing with the baggage of past relationships right through the lens of video game language and then you get the a callback to knives and scott playing the the ninja game with the nega ninja when nega scott shows up Mm-hmm. And nothing happens. Like it's, I don't remember exactly how the comic ended. If the Negus Scott character is a payoff, or they actually fight, but that not going anywhere feels like feels superfluous in the film. Like why have that show up at the end? And then, yeah, like you said, like him ending up with the girl. Like in that end, you really don't see Scott and Ramona have any development. 
right? They still feel like the same characters that the movie mm-hmm. started with, even though we're told that they must have grown or they say that they've grown, right? Yeah. Which I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's weird because it feels like there's maybe an extra scene that was needed to kind of complete sure. the film a little bit more. Yeah. But I, I c- couldn't put my finger on it as to what exactly I would need for, their, for it to feel better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess so that last scene for me kind of underscores my criticism of both the film and the, the movie is that sure. the, um, both of them use the aesthetics and logic of other media, video games, comics, anime, manga, to complete that metaphor of self-growth. The problem is the characters still feel hollow. They kind of feel like a collection of cliches rather than fully developed characters, even at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? There's no growth there. Yeah. And, and um, that's kind of a big critique. As much as I enjoyed the film, and I did really enjoy the movie, and I'm actually excited to go back and watch it again and look for stuff I missed, but the actual central story kind of falls flat and that's not to take away how much fun the actual visuals and stuff are, but like, yeah, there's not much to the actual story of the film or in my memory to the comic. Yeah, no, I definitely think you're right. I think that when you know that you're going to have on the screen, you know, Scott has earned the power of self-respect. <laughs> yeah, It takes off a lot of the pressure to actually show him earning the power of self-respect. Yeah. Right, especially when that self-respect is him like yelling a few lines to his friends and to and to, to Gideon and everyone like it's it's kind of an odd thing, but it, it gets it's one of those things where maybe it is playing on the idea of anime. It's playing on the idea of like these these shortcuts that other media media does. Not to say that Edgar Wright is innocent of doing that stuff himself, because I I know that he's he's definitely doing it. He's doing it in this film. Like that that's no excuse. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's 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 kind of tough to add it, a pad an extra you know twenty minutes to to give Scott a couple of scenes where he was he would actually earn that self respect and so on. It, it's funny in that moment I was like self respect shouldn't he have respect for other people because he's been shitty right. to everyone else it's not so much <laughs> right. himself right <laughs> yeah I had that moment as well where like that came up and I was like was that it really his problem that he didn't respect <laughs> himself because he seems mm-hmm. to have a very high opinion of himself yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's my major nitpick, and it seems like we're all on the same page in that regard. I think, yeah. you know, um, uh, which, again, I mean, that sort of underscores the reason I put the movie off, why I put off watching it, but there's a lot of stuff I did like, and I, I've, you know, highlighted the sort of the visual aspect of it. I think Edgar Wright, you know, um, aside from all the sort of visual added cues of the comic book, you know, dialogue and video game references that are on screen, the way the film is edited, and that's a big part of, you know, Wright's the oeuvre is the sort of rhythmic editing of his film. Mm-hmm. That I think the rhythmic editing of the movie does a better job of making it feel, quote unquote, like a comic than all of the added, you know, the dialogue and stuff, right? Sound effects. Yeah. I, I mean, this this movie is is another film, just like Shaun of the Dead, just like mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz, just like Baby Driver, um, where I, I know Baby Driver came out later, but it, it, even still, this movie is so entrenched with being on time. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing in this movie is out of sync, right? Every single thing happens on a beat that feels natural, and it makes everything click in a way that is subconscious to you as you watch it. And just rewatching it again last night, I'm like, oh man, I thought he had it done with Baby Driver. No, this this movie is perfect like that. Yeah. And like, you get that beautiful scene in Shaun of the Dead where they're listening to Queen, and then all of a sudden they've got the dead barman in, in between the four of them, and they're hitting him on time. Like, that's a wonderful scene because you, as a person who listens to music, can understand like the beat 
beat of something. Mm -hmm. Um, But to see it in this movie where everything's based around music and every single scene has something that is clicking on time, even so much as like there's a moment where Scott is depressed and he's walking by himself. Even the song that's playing then, he's thunking his head against a uh, a, uh, like telephone pole. Even Mm -hmm. that is on time. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening in your mind, Edgar Wright? Like, do you have like... Is there such a thing as like perfect timing compared to like perfect pitch? Because everything in the, that he does in this film has a, some sort of timing and it works really, really well. And it meshes in a way that for me, like as someone who just loves that idea of everything syncing up in the perfect way, it like tingles the back of my brain to watch yeah. it in a film like this. And it, 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 it starts from the first scene of the movie all the way to the last scene. Everything is on perfect time. And I this is why I love Edgar Wright's films in general. But um, this one in particular, I think, does a fantastic job of it. And, you know, it's interesting. The scene that always that actually stood out for me was the first time Scott and Ramona hang out when they're just walking together through the park because it feels so rhythmically different. It's longer shots. You know, there's all mm-hmm. sort of these aerial shots of them looking down from above at them. It, it it's a different pace than the rest of the film, which gives that scene a resonance that maybe it doesn't earn, but it, sure. it stands out because it looks so different from the rest of the film, you know? Well, uh, I mean, that scene in particular has a, has a weird pacing, but uh, go ahead, Brian. I was just saying, it, it gives you the same awkward feeling of being on a first date. In a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you got behind the, you know, director and editor's chair and looked at that. And they said, yeah, no, no, we intentionally made that scene off compared to the rest in order to kind of mess with your brain for a moment. I, I wouldn't put it past Edgar Wright to do that and his, and his, his editing team. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I do want to highlight some of the performances. I already mentioned Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I, I think her in particular does a really good job because, again, my initial impression of the comic and you know, seeing the trailers for the movie is that it's just a generic, quote unquote, manic pixie dream girl, you know, cliche mm-hmm. that was so popular in the early 2000s. Listen, um, I love 500 <laughs> Days of Summer and you back <laughs> the oh. fuck off, Paul. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a point that? of contention between Mike and I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think I'm on your side, Brian, so. Uh. <laughs> um. But I think, oh, but again, when you finish the movie, you realize that she's kind of just as shitty as Scott is, right? They're kind of like meant for each other in that regard, and that she doesn't bother to mention any of this background to him, right? Um, yeah, it, it's it's weird because I think like they're both incredibly protective of their past, and I think they both keep saying, oh, no, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But right. as the film goes on, it's clear that that stuff really matters. Like, it truly is affecting them, and it needs to be communicated. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of movies like this, I think the communication is the is the core problem, right? This is how we get in Arrested Development, because it's just lack of communication. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but it, I think in this movie, it's it's much more subtle than that. They both keep saying, oh, no, it's fine. And that's what everybody says to people, right? When you meet someone for the first time, you say, oh, no, don't worry about my past. It's it's not a big deal. But it, it truly is. And it's something that if there is a problem or something that you need to tell somebody, you just need to tell them. Um, but right. anyways, I, I'm going to get off my soapbox here about this. <laughs> I, I got thoughts, guys. Yeah, <laughs> no, the think, IRCB yeah. Couples Therapy Podcast will come later. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think that's, I mean, obviously the whole point of the movie is getting over the awkwardness of unpacking that baggage in front of other people and to yourself, right? It's just that I think you don't actually see the payoff of what they learned, right? The movie ends before you see that they've grown. Mm -hmm. You don't actually Mm -hmm. see the resolution in that regard. 
Yeah, I definitely get the feeling that Scott and Ramona broke up like four months after the end of this movie. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there is that creepy, you know, way that he is stalking Ramona right away. Like, it's very icky. The, the first interactions mm-hmm. that he's having with her and just tracking her down. It's very stalker-esque, you yeah. know. Yeah. I think Michael Sayer does a good job with that stuff. Like he makes it feel skeezy. I mean, I think that's a testament <laughs> to his performance, so. Right. Um. But again, I think she does a fantastic job, especially in the movie when she's, you can tell it's not so much that she's distant or aloof. It's she's uncomfortable facing herself as much as she is facing, you know, Scott. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, Um, yeah. The other, I was going to say, the other thing that I wanted to call out is I I love some of the other performances, Paul. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you were going to dive just into that, but like, like. Kieran Culkin and Ellen Wong play these just fantastic characters. Like Kieran Culkin, such a, such Wallace a Wallace Wells, weird, right? Yeah, he plays Wallace Wells, and he is just an insane person throughout this film. But like, I wouldn't have wanted him to act or be cast in any different way because, <laughs> quite honestly, that is Wallace Wells to a T in the comic. He's this he's this jester, almost pixie like character that just kind of pops up all over the, the comic, and mm-hmm. he does the exact same thing in the film, and it is wonderful. Yeah, that is actually the character I kind of remember the most from the comic, liking mm-hmm. him, being surprised how much I like that character, and I think yeah, the performance nails it. Overall, the casting is flawless. I think um, you mentioned Ellen Wong as Knives Chow. Yeah, yeah. Um, which could be a very one-note character, um, but she actually brings a lot to that performance. I actually, in the end of the movie, the end of the movie where she kind of like, you know, has this, she's way too well-adjusted for a 17-year-old, I think, you know, to the end of the movie, yeah. like, you know, Scott, go ahead. But um, I think her performance sort of earns that. It's it's really nuanced in a way. Yeah. I mean, she does get one of the best lines, I think, in the end of the movie. She's like, I'm too cool for you anyways, which is like the perfect little cherry on top of the Sunday for this, where it was, you know, the exact opposite throughout the whole film. Right. Yeah. And uh, so the the seven deadly ex-boyfriends or exes that uh, that Scott has to fight, I liked, obviously, uh, Chris Evans and... Um, um, Brandon, uh, Brandon Ruth, Routh. Brandon Ruth, Routh, like yeah. they are like scene stealers. I think they're so good in this movie because they really do, you know, chew the scenery, go over the top, lean into the absurdity of it. And for me, it totally worked. I really love both of those scenes a lot. Yeah, I mean the the whole scene with Brandon Routh and the the vegan police just oh my gosh. slayed me, <laughs> dude. I, I for the longest time, I feel like I would just say to someone like, "It's milk and eggs, bitch!" Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this dumb piece of trivia. Wasn't that like the guy who played the Punisher originally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the 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 Punisher from like Marvel's 2001 film, I think. Yeah, Just... I mean, and, and, and of course, like the Chris Evans scene, I think is my favorite Evil X fight, and I know it's number two. Um, but like, man, oh man, does it. Chris Evans going from this role to Captain America. I mean, I know that Chris Evans started in like like not another teen movie. Like he played that like shithead high school guy and, and it, Johnny I, Storm. Was, don't forget he was Johnny Storm. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was also Johnny Storm, but it's still shithead high school guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I I feel like he was maybe worried that he was going to get typecast, and of course he ends up being Captain America. And don't worry, you're typecast, bud. But uh, 
like I, I think his performance is so over the top, and that that whole scene is really really fun to me. I think it's probably the my favorite fight in the whole film, yeah. um, just because of how goofy it is, right? Like you've got these all these stuntmen, and Chris Evans, he just gets these wonderful lines, just like I let him do the long shots when I want to get blazed in my in my winning, <laughs> like right. I, I still remember this shit because I thought it was so funny. Um, I, there's just lines from from this film that stick in my brain, but that scene in particular is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the whole like Scott Pilgrim defeating all of the uh, stunt extras like off screen. You know mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, it is that stuff leans into the absurdity of it in a way that I find really endearing. So, um. And I mean this this movie has like a, almost a murderer's row of actors in some way, right? Like right, we've got yeah. we've got Anna Kendrick. I mean this is all before a lot of these people were huge stars, right? You know, mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick, Chris Evans, um Brandon Ruth. I mean, he's been in he'd been in a bunch of other things. Um I think he was Superman had been Superman at this time and yes, then he yeah, kind yeah. of had to hide away in the shadows. But uh I mean <laughs> Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman who had already had a pretty storied um um film career, but like this this movie's just got a ton of people in it, and I, I can't even believe it sometimes. Mae Whitman also in this um, co-star on Arrested Development with Michael Sarah, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I remember being really excited about that, actually, when she was cast in the film. Well, it's funny and you then bring... Brie Larson, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it's funny. I was watching the movie. I'm like, then when they show, like, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Nat Envy? Envy Adams, yeah. Envy Adams. I was just, the whole time, like, who is that? Like, I know who this is. I just couldn't put my finger on who it was until I, you know, looked it up. So, yeah. She's great in it. Um, Funny to bring up Jason Schwartzman because, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys. So, my sort of uh, high school um, coming of age uh, romance movie was Rushmore. So, that was the movie that clicked for me, right? So, and then when you go back and rewatch, you're like, boy, that main character really is a shithead. So, like, the fact (laughs) that Jason Schwartzman is kind of like re doing the that character to the logical extreme in a sense like mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. was hilarious to me kind of what his rushmore character could have grown up to be <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, man yeah could you imagine this movie directed by uh uh oh geez what's his name uh wes anderson because anderson? that that'd be a whole different experience right i can't Very imagine different. this movie directed by literally anybody else <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's kind of the strength of the film. Like, you know, as as I've been sort of nitpicking the story, I think in terms of an actual movie watching experience, it's incredibly fun. And it's because of the direction and the obvious love that Edgar Wright has for this material. So mm-hmm. it all comes through when you watch it. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about like little Easter eggs, like going back and rewatching it. I mean, I, I've like I've probably seen this movie a dozen times or more. And I feel like still like every time, you know, I come back and I find something new, like the moment where Scott realizes that there's evil exes and he's walking down the street and there's all these exes hanging over him and he rips <laughs> yeah. off his shoulder patch, which is an X-Men thing. I mean, it, that's not necessarily subtle, but like throughout each of the scenes, that Scott is fighting someone, you can find the number that that X is, right? Yeah. So when he's fighting um, Todd, Todd has a number three shirt on. Um, when he goes to Lucas, uh, goes to fight Lucas Lee, there's a big number, like set number two sign that's above them as they walk into the scene. Um, when I think when he's fighting Roxy, yeah, they walk into a club and it has a big number four above it. Like that, that happens as the movie goes on. I really fucking love just the little things that Edgar Wright is sprinkling in. If you're if you're paying attention. Um, 
and they're and they're all over the film um, with various different things, like even the the seven X's on the phone number. I think that actually came from the comic, but like because Brandon uh, Brian Lee O'Malley was also throwing that kind of stuff into the comic. But to see Edgar Wright try to bring that over into the film and use film specific ways to show that off, I thought was was really fun. And I think that that's really interesting to me because I, again, I, I said the film walks a fine line between trying to look like a comic and just you know adapting the source material. So things mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, there's the recurring thing in the movie where they he puts the name of the chapter on different scenes, right? Yeah. Which, you know, once I figured that's what was happening, it made sense to me. And then, like you were saying, like having the sort of big four, which probably was in the comic, but doing it in a way that's more subtle in the film helps you correct that sort of balance problem I was having with other aspects of the film. So, yeah. I also want to say that uh, the whole Stephen Stills young Neil joke is the dumbest joke, but it always cracks me up that the fact he's making reference to Stephen Stills and Neil Young. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's always funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one other thing I did want to point out um, that I noticed probably a while ago, but I, I loved it again as I was watching the film was the way that Edgar Wright does lighting in this film, um, where instead of doing like fades and stuff like that, he'll turn off the lights in a scene. Mm-hmm. Like even in the background, like there's that they're at the party at Julie's house and she starts to yell at Scott and you can see the lights in the background fade. It's not a CG outline of her head. It's it's the lights behind her fading. They had a spotlight above her and it creates this ominous feeling that's just fantastic. And when the lights go out later at the end of the party when they're changing scenes, you hear people, oh man, like the power actually <laughs> went out. There's a big like ka-chunk noise as the lights actually go out. And they do that across the, throughout the film when they need to highlight something or they want to show a different tone of light rather than, I think, fading away or CGing in like blackness around people. They literally turn off lights and you can see them dimming in the background after they've been running for so long. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a really small practical effect, but I think it adds like a layer of thought to the, to the, to the filmmaking that, that you don't see in a lot of other films. It probably would have been easier to adjust something like that in post but it shows the craft again like the attention to detail that Wright and his crew had going into this film and how they were going to portray things um, in advance they're thinking oh when this happens someone starts to speak fade the lights in the background you know like that's that's a level of like coming bringing a uh, putting a film together that you don't see I think very often and the fact that it, it happened in this big budget film like Scott Pilgrim is just incredible to me well yeah that's interesting there is a uh, an interesting balance between how much this is actually practical effects versus that post-production stuff. And I think mm-hmm. to have a movie that has so much obvious post-production stuff put on the screen to have those sort of real uh, noticeable vis- uh, physical effects happening um, gives the film a unique feel. So, yeah. 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 Um, so I guess my, my uh, big question here is we talked about ghost world being a successful or unsuccessful adaptation of the comic what do we think about Scott Pilgrim? Is this a successful adaptation of the source material? Or I mean, maybe a better way to put it, uh, it, does it replace the source material or does it stand on its own, you know, alongside the comic? Maybe a better way to phrase that. I mean, I, I think it was an excellent adaptation. I, I think that it does a good job conveying the same feelings of the comic. It gives you the same mood, the same tone. Um, but the comic is in no way, shape or form required to enjoy the film. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same boat because again, yeah, I already said like I 
have a complicated relationship with the comic. Um, it, it, um, it didn't work for me in a lot of respects. The film, I obviously I can nitpick, uh, but as an adaptation, I think it succeeds successfully really well. I think it streamlines the story and, you know, it stands alongside the comic. So if you want more of that background between Kim and Scott, it's all there for you when you read the comic and they can exist, you know, happily, you know, together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this is a, a very successful adaptation. I think to to take what you could out of a seven volume series and condense it into one movie um, mm-hmm. without really losing the same feel um, for the most part, I think is is quite amazing. Um, I think that's a testament to you know the writing team, Edgar Wright and um, uh, Michael Bacall working together, working with the rest of everybody else. I, I think to to capture a lot of things like I, you know Brian Lee O'Malley's work is sprinkled throughout the entire film. You know all the little flipovers that they did, all the drawings that Stephen Stills has. Um, all to me, they're all clearly um, Brian Lee O'Malley's work, and it's it's clear that he was very much involved in the production um, in a lot of ways to make sure that the I think the film had the right feel for it, and it, it also goes to show you know Edgar Wright really cared about the source material i think you you talked about that earlier paul yeah so on the whole i think this is a very very successful adaptation i think if you hadn't read the comics you would have just as much fun in in the in the jokes and the humor and all that other stuff as you would with the comics i think that you know source material you know and in the movie there is like a level of pretentiousness that kind of goes into it um because if you read scott pilgrim and you're not well versed in all the music and all the random shit that he throws in because he's very cool and he's very very cool and he wants you to know um you you still feel that i think watching the film and maybe that was intentional maybe it wasn't um i've read other brian Lee O'Malley's work i think that he he just is into stuff that he thinks is cool and throws it in a book. And to me, I think that that makes it cool. Cause I don't know about it. Uh, maybe that's just my interpretation of the, <laughs> of the source material, but um, yeah, it's the, it's the same feeling between both. And to that, I say it's a successful adaptation for sure. Is, is Scott Pilgrim cool? Like my interpretation of the movie is that he talks a bigger game than he has. Like I, he might not be into that stuff as much as he la- leads on. He well, always felt I, kind of a poser to me in, in both versions. See that's that's really interesting. I feel like to me Scott Pilgrim is is in the belly of what you would consider like cool alternative kids. Okay. That doesn't necessarily make him one, but I feel like all of his friends are, right? right? Like he knows like like Julie and Cuomo and all these other people, they know all these like really cool things and they're talking about bands and all this other stuff. Things that in my mind from, you know, like my high school mentality of things, that's what cool kids would do. And mm-hmm. Scott just happens to be friends with these people. I wouldn't necessarily say that Scott is one of those kids, but he's friends with all of them. And therefore that puts him in like the the circle of people that you would see at a at a show or something. And he's like, Oh, look at look at that's the group of cool kids. They know someone behind or you know, backstage, or they know mm-hmm. someone that works at a record shop that can get us to the secret show or something. Um yeah, well, I mean, they, I mean, they get yeah. invited to a secret show by this massive band. Um, if that's not a cool kid thing, I don't know what else is. <laughs> well, don't they get invited to the show so that the evil ex can fight Scott? Like, that's not because they like the band. Well, right? sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but still, they're friends, you know, they, they're tangentially friends with Envy Adams, and that makes them cool, right? No matter what their sure. relationship is, right? To the outside observer, at least. Yeah. Just the fact that Scott seems to not really give a shit about being in the band. He's willing to just give it up and hand oh, the sure, bass over sure. to, to young Neil. Like that, that spoke volumes to me about his, his character. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the fact that maybe my last sort of gripe about the end of the movie um, is that the conclusion is that Ramona is happy with Scott, at least in the short term, I think. 
because he's, quote, nicer than any of his other boyfriends. That's not a ringing endorsement of Scott Pilgrim, right? (laughs) True, true. (laughs) That's pretty, uh, that's damning with the faintest of praise, I think, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't think, like, nobody came out of this movie as a winner, I think. That's (laughs) that's really the the ultimate story. (laughs) Yeah, and I think... I I think Young Neil probably did. Yeah, okay, maybe Young Neil. (laughs) I think that's maybe... Oh, go ahead. Plus, we get the amazing phrase from this movie, a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think Brian said to me like a hundred times when we lived together at some point. I know that I remember that being a thing that we said a lot when we lived together. Yeah, that and for the band. It's for the band. For the band? Do the band. (laughs) I think if anybody comes off good in this movie, it's Stephen Stills, oddly enough. I think he's probably my favorite character. True, true. Uh, yeah, but so this is interesting. I'm 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 glad I was uh you know forced in some regard to finally watch this movie. Um, I'm actually excited to go back and watch it again. Um, I might have to actually take the time to reread some of the comics because you know my um my aversion to them is is, is uh, waning. I guess so. I'm a little bit more sure. open to uh, the nuance of them. So I think I'm liking. I'm learning to enjoy media where I don't like the main characters. It took me a while to get there, but maybe I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to do that now. So. Well, I mean, if you don't like Scott the movie, you're really not going to like him in the comic. <laughs> right. I'll just say exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up, guys? Edgar Wright <laughs> I can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, th- that being said, you know, there there are bits and pieces in this script that I'm like, whoa, that's very much a 2010s thing. Um, but beyond yeah. that, I, I think, like, the, the filmmaking side of things um, is it's just fantastic. And I, I will at least try all of his movies once or twice. <laughs> so, yeah, th- this is this is a, it's still in my heart. It's a very enjoyable film. Um, I think most people will have fun watching this. If you can put aside some of the problems that it has, um, I think you'll have a really good time. Yeah, and coming in, coming into it as somebody who doesn't, who doesn't normally pay attention to things like video editing in movies, I mean the fact uh-huh. that it was so so pronounced and so good that I couldn't help but notice it, I think mm-hmm. is definitely a point in its favor. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think the the craft of the film and the way it sort of you know adapts the language of the source material in an interesting visual way it's 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 a very fun movie to watch yeah nitpicking aside it's a it's quite a ride plus you get a t-rex song on the soundtrack so i'm in so there you, go. <laughs> you know we didn't really i wasn't you know i actually run to ask you one last thing paul i know we're yeah. trying to wrap up here but <laughs> what are your thoughts on beck i mean because beck did a lot of sure. work in 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 the like the baba sex baba songs yeah um a lot of the quote-unquote original songs in this um i, I really got to know as someone who is a you know more of a child of the 90s i think than some <laughs> um what are your thoughts on beck my dude i was a huge beck fan um, okay. in high okay. school and just after high school. Odelay was a big record for me, you know, um, all the, all that stuff. Um, there was a period where I kind of fell off listening to his stuff probably after, you know, the early 2000s. But uh, yeah, as a as a teenager, early 20s, Beck was very much my shit. So yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Because I know that, 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 uh, that the gap between fans and not fans is vast. So <laughs> I just wanted to know what side of it you fell on. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. It's, uh, I think it was one of the uh, one of the first concerts I went to. I think was was back, yeah, back in. Uh, Very cool. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm a loser, no baby. Problems. You know, so, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember hearing that song for the first time on the radio. I must have been 11 or 12, and yeah, that was uh, quite a moment for me. I'd never heard anything like that before, so I got mm-hmm. no qualms mm-hmm. with Beck. So Very I'm glad cool. I was surprised to see him on the soundtrack. I think, yeah, he he wrote some fantastic songs for Sex Bob Om. 
So, <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us in the theater again for this edition of the I, I Read Comic Books Movie Club. As I mentioned, this film was chosen by our Patreon supporters. We'll probably do that again for the next episode, put up some uh, choices, and you can vote them to see what you want us to see. And if you have any suggestions for some lesser-known, more obscure comic book adaptations you want us to talk about, please let us know. You know where to find us. Uh, you're a Patreon subscriber. You know all the stuff. Uh, I want to mention Infinity Shred is the best, and they do the music for all of our shows. Xander is a wizard who also edits all of this stuff. I want to thank Mike and Brian for joining me in the movie theater this time, and you for listening. Until next time, comics are good, sometimes movies are, and so are you. Bye.